This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that really, really wants more women to become investors. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me as well, not Doc. In fact, he's around, but I'm away today. I'm on a beach somewhere, hopefully, as you listen to this with my five-year-old. Hopefully, it's not too cold. Hopefully, he's doing the right thing and behaving. Anyway, in the meantime, I have a very special guest, Shivani Gopal, who is CEO of The Remarkable Woman. G'day, Shivani. Hey, Scott. How are you going? I'm excellent. Well, I'm, I'm very good, hopefully, right now, because, again, I'm on a beach somewhere, which is lovely. So I'm, I'm enjoying that. But, uh, but I'm here for now, so that's all good. And if we have time, we will do a mailbag question on ETFs. But more importantly, we're going to talk to Shivani. Now, The Remarkable Woman is not necessarily a self-described moniker. What is The Remarkable Woman, and what is the business all about, Shivani? The Remarkable Woman is all about accelerating equality for women because, as you know, we're going to get to equality eventually, but 100 years <laughs> I, by my book. I yeah. saw something the other day in the paper that was supposed to be 200 years or something based on the current trends. Is that is that right? Yeah, 202 to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> but who's counting, right? Hey. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is whichever research house does the study, yeah. the, the timeline keeps changing and the shortest one I found was 100 years and I oh, went, geez. well – even 100 years is just not good enough to get to equality. We're going to accelerate it right. because I think it's really important that you self-empower yourself mm-hmm. um, as much as you know, looking outward as well. So The Remarkable Woman is, is born out of accelerating that equality, helping women achieve their goals professionally, personally, and as we're talking, you know, very relative financially too. Awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah, look, I, th- I think 200 years, we can probably shorten that just slightly if we give it a little bit of an effort. And I am pleased to say we have got a few women listeners and we've got some some female members as well, but nowhere near enough in the finance space generally. Mm. Let's go back to your to your business and your site for a second. So you talk about empowering women, accelerating, I like that word, um, across all different facets of life. How does a remarkable woman do that? What is it about the, your business, your site that actually does do those things? How are you achieving that sort of aim? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with the why. Mm-hmm. We, we know the formula to be successful. We're actually, you know, as as humans, really clear on it, right? You need to surround yourself with really successful, really smart people. You need to invest in yourself and you need to continue learning and you need to give yourself the resources, the finances to be able to achieve whatever it is that you wish to do. Yet there's there's two things working against us. One is, you know, structural disempowerment where we Mm -hmm. have the gender pay gap, for Mm -hmm. example, and gender bias. And then there's our own self-doubts and our own, you know, limited resources. We may may not know the right people and not have access to them. Mm -hmm. So the remarkable woman solves all those issues for people, um, for for women in particular who are the beneficiaries of of the movement. And we say, come on in and we'll connect you with the mentors, um, anyone and everyone, men and women, who can help you get to where you need to be. Oh, nice. Yeah. It builds a community of people who are incredibly smart, savvy and successful so that you can become the average of the people that you spend the most time Mm, with. And it really corrects something that I think is a huge flaw um, in in our in our structure of society at the moment, and that is that education tends to stop at high school or mm. tends to stop at university. Mm. Whereas for successful people, education never ends; it's a lifelong relationship. Right. And you'd be surprised the difference that reading a really good article or a short course is going to make in your ability to be creative, to get out there, to take more risks, build that business, or smash that boardroom meeting. And so the remark. Woman gives women access to endless learning wherever they need it so that they can be more accelerated in mm, their ability mm. to achieve goals. So, in short, we give women access to mentors, we give women access to learning and reading on anything that they would need, mm. um, and we financially empower them by giving them knowledge financially, but also 
we achieve a closing of the gender pay gap the clever way round by making their money stretch further, by getting them discounts at Woolworths or um, any any grocery place, any place that you would buy your clothes, your gym clothes, um, you know, event cinemas and, and anything all round nice. um, to help you get a little bit further. Nice one. All right, I'm going to ask you a bit more about that in a minute, but first I'm going to ask you a little bit about you. What's your kind of professional journey? How do you find yourself all of a sudden running a business called The Remarkable Woman as its CEO? Yeah, I, I certainly... In, in some ways, when I look back on my life, I think it's no wonder that I ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> I talk a lot about norms. Creating norms in your life are right. really important uh, because that will often dictate your success. And my norm was actually seeing my parents both work uh, two jobs, mm. both have their own businesses, um, and both chip in equally um, okay. on, on the household and, and also cook equally. In fact, they, they have competitions constantly on who bakes, ah. who makes the best curry. I've got, I've got to ask you who won. Uh I can't say. I can't. <laughs> They're gonna listen to this. Yeah, they? if I if I ever want to eat mum or dad's curry again, <laughs> I will never answer that question. I'll, I'll take it to my grave. I'll ask you later. I'll ask you later. <laughs> Privately, fair yeah, enough. We'll, we'll fair have enough. that chat. And what what is the curry of choice at your house? What's the uh, what, what are mum and dad's favourite dishes? Uh, yeah, uh, a good lamb curry. Okay. A good chicken curry. Nice. My husband loves the the prawn curry. Okay. And. Uh, and it goes on and on, really. But the lamb curries is my favourite. I love a good curry. Yeah. I really, I, I, I don't know, I, well, I, I like a good vindaloo, but it depends. Whenever I order, I've got to make sure I'm ordering the right one that's not too hot. You can't say, how hot really is it? Because if you get a really authentic one that can be particularly hot or not hot, it's all a bit, all a bit up in the air. So the secret is to say you want it hot <laughs> with a side of chilies. Oh. And then you add as you need. See, there you go. I've learned something. You bring, you bring the value already. I'm loving it. All right. So you started there. So I, I started there. And so my norm was always um, work as much as you can in your capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, life is work. And, uh, and you know, having a business is really, really normal. So when I look back, it's, it's no wonder. And <laughs> one of the biggest life lessons that I had, and, and Scott, I think you'll really appreciate this, is that money gives you freedom to live mm-hmm. the life that, um, that you want to live, that you so deserve. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it will also strip away those choices if you don't plan appropriately. And when I was in year 10, my, my father had a heart attack. And uh, my father, who as, as any young girl, you know, would, would look upon, you know, their, their dads, yeah. um, you know, he, um, he is and, and was, you know, my, my hero and, and very much saw him as, you know, immortal, indestructible. Totally, yeah, right. You know, right. mum and dad, both. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. Bo- they're both incredible powerhouses. Yeah. And when I saw him, you know, he then subsequently had a double pipe bypass. Mm. Um, I then saw him having to go through a really long recovery period. And I saw my mum working three jobs now to to pay the bills, to take care of us. And we had so many neighbours and family friends who'd bring over food and help us out. But at the same time, my mum was still working endlessly to make ends meet. Mm. And the thing that really annoyed me, it was it's, it's a wake-up call in my life, was that people said, oh, you know, don't worry, you're going to be fine because you've got insurances, don't you? And... Um, and I remember thinking, I've never heard that word before in my life. What in the world is insurances? Right. And it made me really annoyed that people talk about certain things in the bad times, but not in the good times. That's a really good point. Yeah. 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 So when you go to a barbecue, everyone's going to talk about their investments and they're mm-hmm. going to boast about their investments mm-hmm. and how well they did. They won't talk about the bad ones generally, right, right, right. Um, but they'll never talk about the, the risk mitigation that they've done. They'll never talk about insurance until something bad happens. And so it was a, an awakening moment for me to make sure that you mitigate 
but also talk about the bad stuff and plan for it as much as you do plan for the good stuff. Mm. Um, and so that led me into realizing that if I wanted to be successful in life, I needed to get really good at mitigating my risks and I needed to get really good at planning this thing called money. So that led me down the path of from a year 10 girl saying, I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a psychologist to then going, actually, I need to get really good at this thing called money. And uh, so I eventually uh, studied finance and became a financial advisor. And, uh, and I, I really made sure that I didn't shy away from having those tough conversations with clients, mm. um, whether it was, um, you know, the fact that they needed insurances, you know, no one wants them, but they mm-hmm. needed their insurances. And I was very happy to share my own family experiences um, right through to the importance of having a really robust savings plan. Um, but that also opened my eyes up to, you know, seeing the gender pay gap at the very coal face, because um, like most empowered women, um, educated women, we all think that we are the creators of our own destiny. Sure, we are. Mm. Uh, and we don't tend to realize some of the structural inequality that's in place until we personally hit it. And that happens at mid-career right. at around the 30 to 35-year-old age bracket. So as a young financial advisor, I too didn't see it. I saw it through my clients. I would see two people come into my offices at different times working for the same company and I would see the male earning $100,000 more than the female. Wow. And it certainly wasn't because of skills, expertise or qualifications, <laughs> let me tell you it's that It's all merit, much. Shivani. You've heard that before. Yeah, Ask merit, quotation, quotation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a worry, isn't and, it? And the interesting thing is it made me really challenge this concept mm. called merit mm. because merit is a wonderful principle. We should all be aspiring to mm. being the right person for the job based on merit. Mm. But what we all need to do is also equally embrace that we're human. Mm -hmm. We make judgment calls every single day. There are no saber-toothed tigers. We make judgment calls for anything else, right? Right, right. Am I going to keep this job? Am I going to hire the right person? There are saber-toothed tigers of the world. Mm. And so our judgment or our stereotypes Mm. or the word that no one likes admitting, (laughs) our biases, um, then cloud this thing called merit. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's no real thing as genuine merit. And that's when I saw the gender paying out for what it really was. um, I saw the lack of women ascending um, in its true numbers and um, and I realised we've really got to band together and do something about it. And if no one else was going to, mm. I was going to be that person. <laughs> and there you go. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. How long have you been doing or uh, conducting, running The Remarkable Woman? How old is the business? Uh, about two and a half years now. Very nice, very nice. And it's theremarkablewoman.com.au? Or just theremarkablewoman.com.au. There we go. So do check that out. Now, Shivani, I've asked you to come along. So you and I are sparring partners on uh, on Your Money Live on Monday nights. So if you want to uh, see Shivani and I trade blows, or not kindly, friendly, um, tune in on, on Monday evenings. But I asked you for two reasons. One is because you obviously run The Remarkable Woman and you're steeped in that concept of what's keeping women away from equality and largely the answer is blokes as it turns out also too though your background as a financial advisor gives you a really strong insight into the financial lives of women and, and that for us on this podcast in particular was something that's really really important we've had Bronwyn uh, Bruce from Miss Moneybox on before talking about women and investing but I don't think that's something we can do enough there are simply not enough mm. women investors whether that's professionally whether that's in their own lives members of services like the Monthly Fools we just don't have we have something around 75, 80% of our members are men. And to some degree, we kind of figure that's probably men on behalf of their families. But there's still that presumption or that expectation or that just reality that women aren't as engaged as men in when it comes to their financial lives. So I'm going to talk about the gender pay gap and gender bias in a minute. But from your experience as a financial advisor in the financial world, 
What do you think is keeping women away from being as engaged, as involved in taking charge of their finances as the blokes seem to be? Yeah. First of all, I think it's history, culture and nurture. So what we need to look at and and understand and and really appreciate so that we can change this dynamic of women being um, more invested Mm. in their investments (laughs) and in their money, if I can use that. Oh, nice pun. I like it. I'm a big fan of puns. Me too. There's a pun conference coming on soon, actually, (laughs) I hear. Um, We'll see you there. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Is we need to appreciate the history. Mm -hmm. And so historically, men were the main breadwinners. And historically, there were many more women um, who were who were stay-at-home mothers, stay-at-home carers. Mm. Um, and uh, and we, of course, know, you know, when, when Paul Keaton first came into politics, he was, um, you know, before he was, you know, proud of increasing the workplace, workplace participation of women, mm. before that speech, he had, he had initially said what a tragedy it was that women had to go into work. Right. Um, and so there's this whole perception mm. of, um, of, of women previously not working. So structurally, they were diverting to their fathers, diverting to their husbands mm. for money. And so it's really a new dynamic, a very necessary dynamic that women then take empowerment and and, um, and take mm. responsibility for their own funds. Mm. So, so this, so what's happening is the the younger women of today are looking at their mothers and they're looking at that for right. norms and they're right, saying, right, well, right. it was normal for my mother generically speaking, mm, mm. it was normal for my mother to divert to my father or her husband um, for the management of the family finances. And mm. so whether I think about it consciously or not, that norm tells me that I'm going to follow in a very similar pattern. Mm. So it's really important that we know that, we acknowledge that so that we can consciously go, I'm going to break that pattern and I'm going to actually take charge of my own money. Right. Um, the, the the next thing we've we've really got to get good at is is um, a mantra that I have, and I say over and over again: women need to self educate mm-hmm. before they delegate. <laughs> and um, it's it's no problems if you want to um, if you decide and consciously make a choice that I'm going to delegate the, the the finances over to my partner, my husband, or my financial advisor. Right. No problems. Provided you self-educate first, <laughs> yeah. so it's really important that women say, "Okay, if I'm going to, um, to to grow my finances, I'm going to read every bit of paperwork. I'm going to be an equal partner in the decision-making progress mm. process, rather, mm. and I'm also going to question. And in order for me to question, it means that I might need to do a little bit of research. Mm. And what I say to women everywhere is, it's not just that you are going to be more in control and more aware, but the knowledge will make you richer too. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I think that. That is absolutely so imperative because we also hear, in, you know, through the Royal Commission, for example, you know, financial planners going rogue or uh, or mortgage brokers Certainly going have. rogue. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know, the the importance of self education would have stopped a little bit of that too. So the mm. responsibility must lie with you. So there's that. That's really important. And also knowing, no matter who you are, you're not alone. I, I've heard, um, you know, doctors say to me, "I'm so glad I've got a financial advisor because I um, I don't have a man to manage my money." Oh. So. There are so many people oh, who dear. feel this way. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're not alone. Right. It's not a lack of intellect, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a lack of know-how. It's just a lack of choice. You need to take it upon yourself to mm, say, mm. I'm not the receiver of my life. I'm the creator of my life. Nice. That's a good line. And, and so I am going to create those choices. I'm going to take some time and invest. And the next thing I'd say that's really important for for female investors is just start somewhere. Start to understand the basics. Start to understand the fundamentals. So when you and I turn on the 6 o'clock news, Scott, what's the first thing that we hear? We hear what the ASX 200's done. We hear what the all all, all odds have done. Most people don't even know what that means. Yeah. 
Now, I'm not saying that, again, that's a, that's a lack of intellect. I've had doctors tell me, you know, that they don't know how to manage their finances. They are the smartest people on the planet, right. aside from rocket scientists, yeah, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. they're incredibly intelligent. Yeah. We just choose where to invest our time. So it's really important that you start to understand the absolute basics. Get onto Google and, and Google a basic question. I bet there's going to be 100 hits for it anyway. Mm-hmm. What does the A6200 mean? What does the All Lords mean? What does an ETF stand for? Mm-hmm. Why is that so important? Because it plants a seed in your mind. Remember, knowledge grows from a seed. Um, so you'll be able to turn on the 6 o'clock news and say, well, the ASX 200 do- has done this and you'll automatically go, right, so the top 200 companies in Australia have done this. Mm-hmm. I kind of get what that means now. I kind of get what that means for the all odds. I kind of get what the index means now. Mm-hmm. And from there, it starts to germinate, it starts to grow and you start to then realise the impact that it has on your superannuation, for example. And another place to start as well is what is the impact of loan repayments? Mm. You know, how, you, what difference does it make on weekly repayments, fortnightly repayments, monthly repayments? That's what I mean by self-educate before you delegate. Mm-hmm. Start playing around with calculators. There's some everywhere. Um, and, and start to invest in that and then make decisions accordingly. Now, this isn't a particularly gendered question, but it, it, I, I think almost by definition, it probably impacts women more than men. I, I think that's all true. But how do we get them to kind of want to take interest in the first place? I've had so many conversations with women and men who've just said, oh, I know I should, but I'm not interested. It's boring. I don't like it. I don't want to. How do we How do we kind of create that sense of them wanting to in the first place? So you're right. If they get to that point of saying, you know, listening to you saying educate yourself, mm. but that very sense of like, oh, I would, but it's all too hard and I'll put it off and it feels boring and it feels complicated and I just don't really want to. How do we how do we close that gap? How do we bridge that gap and, and kind of make it accessible or make them want to or, or just you know, get them to a point where they feel like they can and they want to actually get involved in that stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. And and often education, the word education, the word learning, the word reading, mm. it's um, a description of a process, <laughs> right? True. No one likes the process. Yeah, Everyone yeah. wants the goal, the, mm-hmm. the carrot at the end of the line. So I would say, think about that. What kind of life do you want to live? Nice. What kind of resources is that going to require? How much money do you need to live that life? They're the positives. Let's think about some of the other stuff. Would you like the ability to be able to leave your job if it doesn't serve you? When you're shopping around for work, would you like the ability to say no if the job doesn't match your values or get you closer to your dreams? Would you like the freedom to be able to leave an unhappy relationship without a friend tapping you on the shoulder and saying, but how are you going to support yourself? And I know that because when I wanted to leave my first marriage, a friend asked me that, and that was the one thing that I had going, where I said, no, I'm financially secure. Thank you. I'm okay there. Mm. And on the negative, how important is it to you that you have the ability to leave an unsafe relationship? Mm. How important is that quality of life for you? So think about whatever motivates you more. To be honest, for humans, it's the negative that's going to that's going to motivate us more. Yeah, fear beats greed, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yep. It really does. It's yep. a very powerful emotion. We can engage with it. So think about that, and then think: Well, what do I need to do to make that happen? Work backwards. It might be I need to earn a salary of one hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, well, how am I going to be the creator and not the receiver of my life to make that happen? And so you could even start really small. You could even say, well, I'm not going to just take the money that's offered to me. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to self-educate. How much money should I be paid? There's tons of websites you can go to. Go to Seek. um, Go to um, Indeed. Find out what kind of money you should be earning. Go to Payscale. Have a look at the, the ranges. And then figure out how you can better negotiate your salary. Even start there. Start small. Mm. 
Any little win you get will motivate you forward. So to summarize, ask yourself what kind of life you want. What's that going to take? And then what am I going to do about it? Have one little win. I promise you will go from there. That's pretty good advice. Value stocks. Markets. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, I'm going to ask you, because most of our listeners will be blokes, which I was going to say, unfortunately, I'm not, it's not unfortunate, I'm glad they're blokes, but I would like to have more women listening as well. I will ask you what the blokes listening can do to help with this process. But before we do, you mentioned the gender, gender pay gap, you mentioned gender bias earlier. Mm. They're kind of, on one hand, they're kind of loaded words, right? And depending on where you are in this debate, you're either see, hearing that thinking, no, there's no bias, I'm not biased, or you're thinking, well, actually, that is a big deal and we want to resolve it. Just to tell me, to take me through your views on, on both of those, just, just quickly, the gender bias thing. I don't think any of us consciously think we're biased when it comes to gender, but the evidence would suggest that either consciously or subconsciously, we're actually exhibiting that bias in our decisions and our actions day to day. Yeah. What, what is it that you think is driving that? And how do we overcome that? First thing is in, in what you just said. I don't think anyone consciously thinks we have bias. You're very right because bias comes from your system one thinking, consciousness comes from your system two thinking. Right. So they're actually not in the same place. Um, and that's why no one consciously thinks they have bias. Right. And if someone ever said to me, I don't have bias, I would ask them what made them non-human. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because because we all do. Yeah. Um, it's it's a fact of being human. And I I, I find it fascinating that people, people reject that idea. Mm. Um, but I think we, like, we don't know we have, I guess, to some degree, though, I think for some people listening, they're saying, no, I, I definitely don't. I, I know I don't because I don't think about it that way. I think that that realization of the fact there is that subconscious component of it that we none of us know about. It's like the whole idea of merit being so attractive because it feels like it should be right. Mm. But it's that subconscious stuff that, that seeps in until you're really made aware of it. It's very easy to not think about it, not not, not realize you are actually biased despite that. I, I almost, I get some people saying, well, I'm not biased. Like, I, I, of course I'm not biased. I know I'm not. But that, that, that very subconscious component that we don't get, that's, I think, the hard part, right? Yeah, it really is. And I think we just need to re, reframe ourselves to say, I am biased, mm. but I'm conscious of my bias. Mm-hmm. And I try to work around it. And what you need to do then is to just slow down your thinking and, um, and question why you feel a certain way about things. And if people say they're not biased, I would ask them to think about their top, you know, their, you can't really say top five friends, can you? Um, <laughs> you know, your five closest friends, right. right? Why are they your five closest friends? And when you start listing out the reasons, you're going to notice there are things that you absolutely love about them. There are similarities. There's something that reflects a little bit of yourself in them. That's bias that attracts you to the people that are closest to you. And that's what actually creates confirmation bias. It's the reason why we have more Andrews and Davids as CEOs and we have female leaders. I know, isn't that bizarre? Well, it it is and it isn't. It's bizarre when you think about it um, consciously, but then when you think about bias, you go, well, no wonder, because there were so many Davids to begin with and they hired people who were like them. That's called a confirmation bias. We hang around with people who are like us. We, We like people who are like us and we like to surround ourselves around people who confirm mm-hmm. our way of life. It's what creates groupthink. It's why no one realized Donald Trump was going to get elected <laughs> <laughs> because there was groupthink, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's our bias at yeah, play. Yeah. Um, so, so I just think we need to get really real about it. What can you do about it? You put systems in place. Mm-hmm. So when you are recruiting, try to have blind CVs wherever you can. Have a criteria. And by blind CV, you mean without names or without genders, ages, without that kind name, of stuff. genders, and ages. Mm-hmm. That's right. And test that as a um, as an experiment, if you like. You'll be surprised, mm-hmm. kind of candidates you're going to come up with. Also, make sure there are no years.
years. Um, so you can't really <laughs> tell how old someone is. Because right. when you get a CV and, you know, they've worked somewhere for 20 years starting from, you know, 1985, you can get a pretty good idea of how old they are. And even if you're not looking for it, I, I know the same thing when I've been recruiting. You just immediately form a view in your head of how old that person must be based on when they graduated, whatever course they were doing or the last job they were doing or how long they've been doing it. You exactly. that's, it's almost the first thing you form in your head. You read the name. So to your point, you get a sense of probably ethnicity to some degree, definitely gender most of the time. And then you look at the years. By, by the time you've spent the first 25 seconds looking at a CV, you've already decided who they are, what they can do, what they look like, and, and how old they are. Exactly right. And we also do it because we're trying to fast track our assumptions and our understanding of someone so we can move forward. Mm. It's why, now this is a bit of a Sydney question, um, <laughs> but it's why when you go to a party and you meet someone, one of the first things you ask is, so what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Or where do you yeah. live? Yeah. This, not that we're wanting to, but we are boxing them into something, aren't we? The Melbourne version, by the way, is where did you go to school? Oh, really Yeah, now? so Sydney, you'll ask, what do you, what do, you do? Melbourne, they'll ask, where did you go to school? There you go. Yeah, yeah same thing there. You're right. And, and that's I guess that's why it's, it's not... It's not necessarily wrong in its own sense, in the sense that that's our human nature. It's what we den- what what we do. It's just so important that we make those decisions. We actually strip that stuff away to make sure. It's why, to your point, it's why David's hired David's because they say, "Well, I'm successful. I've done well. Here's what's made me successful. I look for someone like me." Yeah. You never actually consciously do that, but you just, in your head you're like, that. "Okay, well, I want someone who's got these attributes because I know these are successful." And by definition, once you start thinking that way in your head, you're picturing blokes that look or feel or say or sound like you because. That's your version, that's your definition of success. Oh, absolutely. I've even had senior leaders say to me in, in, in financial services, you know, for this role, I'm looking for a real silver fox. Oh, right. And, and, I, and, I, and I sort of say, so you, you're looking in the mirror then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and again, that's, and that's the thing. It's, I mean, I, you may have a different view. I, I try not to be too quick to criticise because it's a natural it's a natural thing. What I don't like is when people don't want to have the conversation and confront the reality that, that is the inherent bias they need to overcome. Yeah. It's natural they feel like that. That's the point. That's just to recognize that and then choose to put things in place, as you say, to overcome that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even think that we need to put it to others to say, you've got to confront it. Mm. Embrace it. You have bias. I have bias. Right, right. We're all biased people. Yeah, we yeah, make yeah. judgments. It's, it's the human thing to do. Yeah. And it's a very... Um, efficient way of living life. Right, right. But what you need to do is to, as you said, put systems, put structures in place so that where it doesn't serve you, it doesn't serve your organization, mm. um, you can move you can move away from it. Because as leaders we need to know better. As leaders, we expect better for ourselves. And we know that a, a gender diverse organization mm. um, will be will actually be far more profitable, mm. more mm. productive and have far better morale and culture than one that isn't. Mm. Especially one that has female senior leaders in the 50-50 club. There's, there's a whole good set of research around this. Mm. Mm. So as a leader, it is your responsibility to embrace your bias, to understand it, to slow it down and to hire people to keep you honest. That's a good point actually. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right. So, and then let's just talk about the gender pay gap very quickly. This is, again, a very loaded concept and depends on what part of the argument you're on. I don't think anyone can really rationally, though, argue that women are being paid anywhere near as much as men. Mm. What do you think is driving that still in 2019? We're in New Year now. Um, and how do we overcome that? Is it is it a version of the same problem with gender bias or are there specific structural issues at play that we need to overcome? Yeah, there's a number of structural issues, but it does stem from 
um, the biased version of meritocracy mm. that is that is at play today. So there's a couple of things. We have a male breadwinner bias, and this is where it generally starts. And again, the history is at play here, right? So historically, and this is why it's so important that we understand it and embrace it and then figure out what we can do about it rather than rejecting it. Mm. Um, and, and we know that historically um, men were, um, generally speaking, the, the breadwinners. Mm. So... Um, when you've got an interviewer at the table, and let's just say you've got two successful candidates and you're trying to secure this one, a male breadwinner bias will say, well, let's just say the pay range for this is between one hundred dollars to $120,000 a year. And and the interviewer is going to say, well, I, I need to try and – I need to secure Tony – um, and so I think I need to pay him 120 grand to secure him mm. for this role because mm. he's probably got a whole bunch of stuff that he's doing. He looks about, I don't know, X age. He's probably going to buy a house and he's probably going to, you know, pop the question to his partner soon and all that sort of stuff. And, right. and this is the bias that's playing in our mind without us consciously realizing it because they, they play in separate parts of our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got Jane. And, um, and we might subconsciously, again, the, the leader might say, well, I'm, I'm going to pay Jane the pay range, and I, I think Jane, 110 grand is a solid income, mm. and, um, and and we'll go with that. Jane's probably got someone who's supporting her as well, and I think she's going to do really well out of that income. So there's mm. a male breadwinner bias. It doesn't happen consciously in our minds. happens behind the that's scenes. That's the fascinating thing because I think no one listening would say, yeah, I, I've definitely done that before. Yeah. But as you say, it, it's something that's come out of the, of the research that actually does happen in, in terms of interviews and job offers. E- exactly. And, it's, and it could be fear-driven mm. as well. Mm. I need to secure Tony. Right. What is the number I need to give Tony to secure Tony? The number that I give Jane might not be as fear-driven because mm. there's bias at play around it where she would probably be happier with something else. So women also need to stop there and interject and be really strong representatives of themselves. For women, I say it's not good enough anymore to know your worth. You must know how to negotiate right. your worth. Right. That's a lot of the work that we do around the remarkable woman uh, for our members is when they come to a sort of job interview and go, hey, can you help me renegotiate my salary? And yeah. we've done incredibly well for women. Uh, we've got someone, uh, some women um, upwards of $80,000 in a additional salary. Oh, wow. So it's very compelling well what done. you can do when you can articulate your worth yeah. um, through not, and it's a very different conversation. It's not, Scott, I really think you should pay me more because I'm really worth it and I'm going to work so hard for you. It's none of that stuff. Right. It's, Scott, this is how much time you're going to put into the role. Based on that, on this hourly rate, how so much value you're going to get out of me. Mm. Here are some proof points of where I've gone above and beyond. It, there's this art and science to this. So anyway, going going back to your question, there's the male breadwinner bias. Mm. Um, what else we've got is um, is is just looking at um, – sorry, I, I went on a tangent there. No, it's okay. I, it's okay. Lost my train of thought. I was telling you about why we have the gender the, pay gap. The yeah. gender pay yep, gap. Yep. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so there's that. Right. Um, and then, then what you need to do is look at um, look at roles where where um, where they're female dominated. Mm-hmm. So in in industries and roles where they're female dominated, the entire average pay actually reduces. That's mm-hmm. how big the gender pay gap is. And um, the women's um, so it's the mechanic versus the hairdresser kind of example, right? Yes. Where mechanics tend to be paid a whole lot more, tend to be a male-dominated industry. Hairdressers that are more female-dominated are paid significantly less. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, and the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, in short, Wijaya, recently did some research and found that the gender pay gap is sitting at around 15%. Right. But if you take into account discretionary earnings, which is the bonuses, which is where your negotiation really counts, it's at around 21%. Wow, that's interesting. It's, it's, in, it's incredibly staggering. Mm, mm. So yes, whilst no one will consciously say that, um, you know, consciously, well, actually I have had people, you know, look me square in the face and say the gender pay gap doesn't exist. Um, and uh, and I've asked them what makes them such an expert on being a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was blokes telling you that, by the way, not women. I, it was. Yeah, it certainly that. was. Yeah. Um, who've also tried to cut me off and say that, um, you know, that, you know man 
mansplaining doesn't exist oh, either dear. and I've gone, yeah, do you want to just look in the mirror here, dude? Um, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you why mansplaining doesn't exist, Shivani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me yeah. explain to you <laughs> what you need to know. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot about that and, right. it's, um, and it's also about, you know, women getting really good at being able to negotiate their worth because, mm. because men um, are, again, cultured to be really strong representatives of themselves. Mm. So on, on our end, on, on, um, on best representing ourselves, we also need to be doing a lot of that work too. Very nice. Uh, hopefully the, the women listening have got a heap out of this conversation. I, I want to just finish off by asking, I kind of alluded to this earlier, how can the blokes who are listening, who are unfortunately the majority of our audience, how can they help both overcome some of these biases, but also help more women invest. How do we how do we build the ranks of, of female investors in our lives? Not necessarily at a professional level, though that's you and I our responsibility. But for those listening who are just going about their daily lives, how do they help more women, friends, family, mothers, sisters, daughters, nieces? How do they help them become more involved in the investing process, either of the family or for themselves? Mm talk about it. As Australians, we don't talk about money openly enough and we really need to. And I really encourage women as well, openly Mm. talk about how much you're earning. Why is that so taboo here in Australia? Mm. Um, And that's the first place that I would start. So barbecue conversations, talk about your investments openly with women as much as you do your insurance, by the way. Talk about (laughs) the good stuff and the bad stuff. Don't be that person um, that only brings brings it up at a a bad time. Um, and then, and then talk about your goals. Mm. That's another thing we don't do, um, openly women, especially, um, but we don't talk about our goals. We don't talk about our ambitions. In fact, um, am I allowed to say the W word on a podcast? You can say the W word on a podcast. Can I? Great. Um, so most, most people think it's a really wankerish thing to do, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, this is who I want to be. This is where I want to get to. I'm glad that was the W word you were going with, by the way, because I wasn't exactly sure, but I figured it was a safe bet. You thought it was. I thought it was. Great. Great. <laughs> Otherwise, feel free to, to bleep me over. Exactly. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> the very first blip on this podcast it would have been, but we're safe. Keep going. Wonderful. Um, share your ambitions because it's it's where people get their drive from. Mm. And then get get women sharing their ambitions. You know, that's so true. I really want to, you know, I really want to retire on X amount of money. Mm. I want to go on a European holiday and mm. not work mm. for six months. Mm. Wonderful. What are you doing? How are you saving? What are you doing to get there? Ask those questions and get women involved in those conversations. Share what it is that you're doing. Mm. And and it's just so wonderful because then you can start to go, well, you know what? I'm actually investing 500 bucks in this. Why don't you do it too? We'll do it together. Nice. It's wonderful to have company, to have accountability buddies. Mm. And to women, I'd say, don't do it for me, show me. Mm. Um, and, and a really fun example I'd, gi- I'd give to this because I'm, I'm guilty of it too. So my husband does a lot of the tech stuff around the house. Okay. And a really simple example is our internet was really slow yesterday. And, uh, and he said, well, just you know, turn off the the um the internet and turn it back on again. And he always does that for me. And I said, fine, I'm going to do it. But can you show me where the switch is? Nice, there you go. And then he said, there. And he was going to point and he was going to do it. And I said, no, 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 I need to physically do this. But when you do it, you suddenly realize how easy it is. Yeah. And it's just as – so get people emotionally involved. Ask them about their ambitions. Ask about their goals. It's not a wankerish thing to do. We mm. need to get really good at talking about money and sharing our ambitions. Mm. Get involved. Have an accountability partner and just do it. Before mm. you know it, start with something small. Start with – a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, go from there. Share mm. your wins. Yeah, I love that. I love this guy. I'll add a couple of my own just for what it's worth and maybe get your thoughts. One of the things I think you talk about talking about, I think particularly within families, if you're in a part of a couple and the, and, the, and the guy tends to make most investment decisions, run it past your partner before you make the decision. Actually, make the decision together. Yes. If you've got kids, um, it's so easy for them not to have that financial conversation with the kids or involve them in part of that financial stuff. And if you do do it with the kids, it tends to be the, the, the son rather than the daughter who gets involved in those conversations. So make it part of a family conversation. Make it part of a – and let them see mum and dad 
dad have that conversation if they're in a in a, in a heterosexual partnership. Let let them see dad have them have the conversation so they kind of get that that's normal. And that's what happens, and, and really bring them inside the conversations that are happening, the process you're going through. Because as you say very early on, that nurture thing of, well, dad's the breadwinner, mum's the one who stays home, or dad makes the decisions, mum doesn't, or dad pays the bills. Those things become generational if we don't choose to make a difference. So you don't do anything differently necessarily, just involve more people in the conversation at home. Again, similarly, sisters, mothers, the same kind of thing. Just have that conversation openly so they get a sense of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I I would also say I'm a huge fan of not having joint accounts. Okay. Um, and and if you do have a joint account, make it a joint bill account and a joint sort of mortgage account where the money goes in mm. and it goes out and it's not touched. Everything else should really be your own. Have your own spending account. Have your own savings account. And if you have a joint savings account, again, hubby puts in five hundred, you're putting in five hundred, or whatever you know proportionate mm, mm, mm. amount that you've decided based on on incomes um, and it goes in. So you're both feeling empowered and accountable and you're both feeling like you've contributed to something because what it also does is it gives you the agency of your own spending mm. and mm. your own saving and that's incredibly important. Fascinating. I like it. Shivani Gopal, CEO of The Remarkable Woman, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you, Scott. It's been, been a pleasure. Very enjoyable conversation. And as I always say every week, that does wrap us up. But before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Full Money Podcast and I hope you will through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating. If you only do it for me, do it for Shivani on iTunes and tell your friends. We're sure they can use little foolish straight talk and maybe a little bit of gender bias uh, realignment too. And don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with Doc with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.